if we include other texts and other ideas, fine to enrich the text. And you uh, and I have read this several times this year, I think, in this service or in our church. But I'm going to invite you to listen to the words of uh, Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. Will you stand as we read the word of God? Pentecost has come. Something that was not expected has happened. The Holy Spirit came upon the church, which is normally sedate and calm and quiet, sitting in an upper room in silence, waiting, waiting, talking, remembering. Whatever they did, they were helpless. They were helpless because every one of them thought they were among the faithful and they had failed Jesus. Every one. We'll break the bread this morning and say, on the night that he was betrayed, immediately you'll think of Judas. No, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread. It was every disciple at that table betrayed him. Every one. They were all in hiding. They, some even denied him. And they were avoiding confrontation with those who destroyed him. Now, that was the condition by which they came to Jesus in the upper room. And that was the condition they remained in until the Holy Spirit came. We cannot have anything of the Holy Spirit working through us in grace and power unless we remain broken. And I'll guarantee you, one of the jobs that God has with us is each of us will be broken over and over and over again so that we may remember our weakness is his strength. His strength is found in our weakness. The humble are the ones he chooses. The weaker ones are the ones by whom he glorifies himself. And the moment you get that in your mind, you and I, the moments we hold that dear in our hearts, that is the time God can use us most. I want to tell you that this text is passed over so many times without understanding the background I want to be sure you've got it. After Pentecost, after they had seen the coming of the 5,000 to the name, uh, to, to the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Everyone and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily such as should be added to their number. You don't, you don't get steam, church. We forget that. God must be the Lord of our passions as well as of our heads. There must be a connection between the head and the heart. And what we miss often is that we get too cerebral and not enough of heart. Or we go overboard with the heart and forget the reason. 
It's a balanced church. He's given us a sound mind, and he's also given us a fire called the Holy Spirit. And we should be baptized, desire to be baptized with the Spirit and with fire. To know his mind and to know his Spirit is to have passion. And by that passion, people are won, not by devices, not by programs, not by preachments, but because people see that we have something that they want. And that influence, that savor, follows the believer everywhere they go. You didn't have to ask if the priest had been into the most holy place when he went into the most holy place. You smelled it on his clothes because the altar of incense was there. And you don't have to ask, uh, you don't have to have a, a, a presentation of the gospel all the time to influence people for Jesus. They sense something, and they want to be with you. They want to be around you. They want to draw closer. They want to know what it is that makes you tick. And the early church had that. They had favor with all the people. Let us pray that God gives us that favor. Let us pray that, again, in this country, which is desperately in need of it, that there be a new winsomeness in the people of God, that there be a new grace at work in the people of God. And I'm preaching now, and I shouldn't be. Let us read this next passage. <laughs> I want to read 1 Corinthians 2, because it's germane to what I'm saying here today. And that is found somewhere. I'm sorry about this bumping. I bump things. Uh, I have it here, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're reading verse 12. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. And we understand what God has really given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment, and woman too, here. Man, you know, means both. The spiritual person, okay? The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Be seated, please. You know, I think I grew up having ADD, undiagnosed. Is that attention deficit disorder? I, I think I did. I just have so many interests. I bounce around from thing to thing. I carry four or five thoughts in my head at once. I don't know what to pick up and what to put down. I don't know what to admire and what not. I just, like a kid running around in a in a valley of dandelions and crushing some and picking some and enjoying them all. That's ADD, I guess. But it's also just who God made me to be, and some of you are like that. 
I find in my life that the one thing that is tough is familiarity. We have a saying in English that familiarity breeds contempt. It does, perhaps, but before it breeds contempt, it breeds boredom, lethargy, apathy, insensitivity. This passage is one of those. We can read it, we can admire it, we can teach about it, we can tout all the scriptures, but we lose sight sometimes of what impact they really have had on our lives and on others' lives through the centuries. And that needs to be renewed over and over again. My passion grows dim easily, being ADD. I can be distracted so easily. I hear the world's voices and the sirens of this world, and I get distracted and start yelling at the TV. I, uh, I, I uh, find a new thing has been discovered, and I want to study it and read it and go get a book on it and go down that pike for a while. I find myself opening the Bible to read and not knowing what to read, and so I just start reading all over the Bible. You call that a disease if you want to. I, I don't know, but... By the way, while it's a distraction at times, it's also a blessing because that's the way God made you. God made you certain ways. Don't call what you are a disease or some kind of fracture. We are all fractured. We're all bent. We all have fragments of Eden in us, of grace in us. We all have a little common revelation. We share bits and pieces together. That's why we need to come together to share the bread, to share the bits and pieces, to be renewed. And I don't mean just come together to sit and study or sit and talk. I mean share our stories. The church has a story. You have a story. I have a story. We need our stories. If we're not refreshing our faith by the stories of what God's doing in our lives, we go nowhere. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've been in testimony meetings in the past in my life. I've been in some crazy testimony meetings. They call them testimony meetings, but they weren't necessarily so. Oh, time for testimonies. And here's a sister gets up, and she starts to cry, and she's telling the congregation how bad her husband is and what an alcoholic he is and how he beats her and the kids, and please pray for me. And that's my testimony. That's not a testimony. That's a complaint. What's God doing? in your life, in mine. I ask myself that every day, and sometimes I have to honestly answer, Lord, I'm not letting you do much. So boredom is very much with us, church, and it's deadly. So we have to refresh things. We have to, <laughs> we have to get renewed. Maybe we, all, we could all move by the Bering Sea. We could take a morning dip in the cold, cold ocean with the polar bear club. That'll wake you up. But it doesn't happen that way. It happens by a decision that we're going to remember, as Jesus called us to remember. His body, his blood, his, the price he paid for us. That this is, a, this is a table of the community brought together in faith. It means that we sometimes will be sitting in a restaurant or somewhere else and just up 
up comes the subject of Jesus and what you're doing in my life. How long has it been since you've had a natural conversation with somebody in a small circle in which you have heard them tell you what Christ did for them today or last week? I've had that from time to time. I miss that when it's not present. And I delight in that when it's there because it encourages me to remember my God is a living God. And that is the testimony of the early church. We need to remember the life they left behind. That's a title. I hate titles. I like them and I hate them. Because a title never does say it. I see so many things on YouTube. It's got a title, and I listen to it, and I, what does that title mean? I mean, where did that come from? So I hope my title means something this morning. I was reflecting on those who were at Pentecost, and I was thinking about what they had left behind. Now, what had they left behind? We get a clue from the kind of disciple Jesus drew to himself in the Beatitudes. He's talking about the character of people that he's looking for. And he's also, at the same time, making promises to those people who have that character. And the only people who were really drawn to Jesus were two types, those who had the character mentioned in, in Matthew, or those who were there to contest him, and to defy him, and to trip him up, and to crucify him ultimately. So as we look at these disciples in the upper room, we have to realize that something happened to them that was exciting and changed their whole life. This is a new pattern. This pattern of the church in Acts 2.42 and on is different from the rabbinical pattern. It's different from the historical pattern in many ways. While bits and pieces of this came to them out of that culture, like breaking of bread and singing songs together and dancing and all of that other stuff they did in the early church before the Lord, this pattern as a lifestyle is new in that culture. And they were so hungry to be together, to grow to hear the testimony of what God's doing today, to see those new people that were coming in because of the excitement that God had stirred in their hearts, they wanted to be together, and they brought these people. Now, who were those people before this moment in time? Before these bold people appeared on the earth? They were poor. That time was a poor time, abject poverty. When Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, he used a word for abject poverty. Not a penny to rub, not a nickel to my name, not a crumb on my table, kind of poverty. And he was saying, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Nice metaphor. But you don't have anything to offer. You just appear before God and said, if there's any emptiness here you can fill, please do it. That's all you have to offer God is emptiness. A willingness to offer your emptiness. A willingness to be reduced. A willingness to be like a little child. A willingness to rediscover what it's like to learn your ABCs. 
and to go on and grow in grace upon grace upon grace. That willingness has to always be there if we're going to grow in grace. We can level off any time in the growth in Christ. Or we can say today, I want more of you. I've experienced that from time to time in in desperate moments and the times that I forget, the times I'm distracted, the times I forget are the times of boredom and of emptiness and of longing if long forgotten. Jesus comes into our life and stirs our longings. And if he's not, we're not making much progress. When we pray, we ought to feel that emptiness along with our praises, that hunger along with our fullness. You see, when Christ comes into our lives, it makes a difference on our internal internal life. And here we have him. The poor, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You'll get the fullness of all things. There were people there who were brokenhearted. Everybody in this room knows what it is to have your heart broken. If you haven't lived long enough, you will. My grandchildren have already had their hearts broken. They have seen one after the other of their own Aged children or young people die prematurely. Why they died, we won't discuss because we know that that's just not right. But someone's life is shorter than we thought it should be. Or we wanted it to be, or they wanted it to be. But there is mourning has been lost in our society. We try to cover it up. We try to hide it. We try not to linger upon it. We don't want to talk about it. But in the church, we can. Because mourning may come for the night, but joy comes in the morning for us. Our culture does all it can to cover up and hide sorrow. It preaches, preaches and others will preach at us positive thinking, ad nauseum, and there are programs that they can sell, but they don't work for the average person for very long. It might make those who proclaim it rich, like the people how I became a millionaire, well, what are you doing selling a program? Get busy and make some more millions. They were poor. They had known mourning and sadness. The blood had run in the streets of their cities and towns. The Bible tells that story of how Bethlehem ran with blood of the infants. We have more than one family. In fact, probably every family in Bethlehem in Jerusalem, in Israel, had been touched by the death of someone at the brutality of the Greeks or the Romans or some person on the road, some thief, some murderous killer some back alley stabbing. They knew mourning, and they were tired of mourning, and yet it was there. And Jesus said, you will be comforted, because there's hope beyond the grave. There were those among those who also had, uh, had position, position, but who had been broken in that position. I think of Zacharias. 
as one, Zacchaeus as one, who climbed a tree. He had everything but nothing. He was hungry, and he was reduced to condescend and come down out of that tree and invite Jesus to his home, where Jesus talked to him, I'm sure, about the things of God because he was changed and converted as a follower of Christ. The meek, the teachable, those who have learned to condescend, to step down from places of position, to step down from places of power, to not count power as their right, but power as a gift from God to make a change on behalf of other people. That's meekness. There were those among that crowd in Jesus' day who literally knew hunger and thirst in the utmost, physically and otherwise. The rabbis gave them nothing to feed on, only more burdens with their laws. They got nothing anywhere except rejection. They thirsted for the things of God. They could read the Psalms and on the Sabbath day and see those words as we hear them and sing, see them and sing them and find that they do not satisfy because all around them are the shibboleth people muttering phrases that mean nothing, doing things that seem right but are not yielding any result. Jesus came to such people as that who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for a sense of being rightly connected with God, for relief from the terrible burden of sin that pressed upon them, from the curse that they sensed they bore, and wondering if they were the fault for the curse in the earth. That's what happens to people who are lost. They begin to think they are the problem. And they're not. Sin is the problem. And they're captivated by the way we all are. They think everybody else is better than them. But they're not. We're all creatures. Helpless before God for our salvation and our fulfillment and satisfaction of our deepest yearnings. That's the people that followed Jesus. The merciful. He said, blessed are the merciful. There were those in that group of followed Jesus who were merciful people. They had learned through their poverty to help. The most generous people on the earth are the poorest people sometimes. The one who is most likely to share with you their last crumb are the people who have nothing. I have fascinated through history a reading about prisoners of war. I have read World War II histories on prisoners of war, the Korean conflict, about China, about Japan, Japanese internment camps, American internment camps, Andersonville right here in Georgia. I'm fascinated by that stuff. Why? Because they're stories not only of survival, but they're stories of transcending. And I have found in throughout those stories, that the people who transcended were the people who were the biggest givers. There were people who gave all they had to one another. And some died having given all, but they died with the glory of God in their face. Oh, it's a rich heritage we have throughout history of people who were poor. And through that poverty learned how to be merciful. And through that need, because they had suffered 
how to comfort. Paul says, comfort with the comfort by which you've been comforted. We know that, how to do that, when we've been there ourselves. So Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. You will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. You know, there were some in pure heart of Jesus. There always somebody lollygagging along like John. I like John. Young man, young boy. Yeah, he comes along with Jesus, and he's just listening to every word. He doesn't know the ways of the world. He hasn't been jaded by hardness. He hasn't seen the cruelty. He's just walking along with Jesus and asking him to explain this and explain that. And he's soaking it up. And what we get out of John's revelation to John is what we read in the book of John, a version of Jesus we don't have anywhere else, in which he includes us in the thought processes that Jesus took him through. It's poetic, it's rich, it's beautiful, it's deep. Because John understood the heart of God, and Jesus left him behind as the last disciple to be called home. To be sure that message got out, and that last message he gave was the message, little children love one another. John was one of those innocent, pure white boys. Oh no, Lord, it'll never happen. Oh no, it can't happen. It can't happen because it just couldn't happen to the Son of God. Peter said it won't happen because I've got a sword. <laughs> See, John, it was pure of heart. And there were people like him who had learned to cope in life by just ignoring, we call it denying, the circumstances around us. That may be a gift to some people. And I'm glad for the people who have the gift of denial, of that purity of heart, that they don't see people being as bad as they can be. We should protect them, but we should also draw from them something they can teach us. So those are the people that follow Jesus, the pure of heart. And there were others who went about busy doing things to help improve the world called peacemakers. To be a peacemaker means to make for the betterment of others, to clear the way, to, to bring down the high places and to lift up the low places, to, to set the table to feed the masses, to care, to bring abundance into the life of others, to be sure you leave a deposit of good morning. It's a great day, isn't it, with somebody? Leave a greeting or a touch of life. Those are the people that follow Jesus. So what did they leave behind the church? They left behind the negative parts of that to get the hope that made them truly merciful truly peacemakers, truly life givers, truly teachers, truly righteous, truly rich, truly overcoming deaths, nullifying curse. Those in the upper room had found in Christ Jesus a liberty that they did not care how they looked and celebrated. 
Mind you now, the Spirit overcame them in a great tide. They were swept up in a wave from the sea. It was a tsunami of Jesus that came upon them and caught them up in that little silence world, in that little hurting world, in that little sad world, wishing he would come, wishing he would do what he said he was going to do, and suddenly they were swept up in this glorious thing called Pentecost, which was an outpouring of the Spirit upon the church as a whole. I want to tell you something. It's going to happen again. The fact is, it's happening some places. That outpouring of the Spirit's happening some places. Some places kind of close. And I want to tell you something else. Every time a tsunami comes in, it brings junk with it. This early church had junk. These people who were sitting there, I don't want to glorify them. They were caught up in someone bigger than themselves who caught them up. And he, he brought joy and life, and the Spirit poured his life and virtue into them. But they had their problems. Paul said they had the mind of Christ, but sometimes they had the mind of the devil. And he had to, they had to explain that. The difference between devilish thinking, James 3, and, and godly thinking. Devilish action, Galatians 5, and the life of the Spirit. They weren't perfect. They were just like you, just like me. You know, we alter the things of God. What we need to do as a people of God is to ask Him to refresh us in our first love. I was going another place this morning. I went off track. But i got to read something to you. Can I do that a little more time today? If you miss this, you'll miss the greatest summary of what I'm saying you may have ever heard, and I refer you to J.B. Phillips, I think it's called in the uh, preface to the Young Church in Action. It's a preface to the book of Acts and J.B. Phillips' translation. If you want a copy of this, you can get it right offline just the way I did. I heard it years ago, and it spoke for me. He said, it is impossible to spend Months in close study of this remarkable short book, conventionally known as the Acts of the Apostles, without being profoundly stirred and, to be honest, disturbed. That spoke right to me when I heard it. Because I was in ho-hum Christianity. I was keeping up the form, but yearning for the butter. The reader is stirred because he is seeing Christianity, the real thing in action for the first time in human history. The newborn church, as vulnerable as any human child, having neither money, influence, nor power in the ordinary sense, is setting forth joyfully and courageously to win the pagan world for Christ. Through Christ, it said, not for Christ. Through Christ. That's the difference between saying for. Forgive me, Lord. The young church, like all young creatures, is appealing in its simplicity and single-heartedness. Here we are seeing the church in its first youth, valiant and unspoiled, a body of ordinary men and women joined in an unconquerable fellowship never before seen on the earth. Wow! You young people out there, you want something to live for? That's describing it. That's describing it. Yet we cannot help but feeling disturbed as well as moved. For this surely is a church as it was meant to be. 
You know who wrote that? J.B. Phillips, an Anglican preacher known for their stiffness. Got touched by this book, the message of this book, turned around. For this is sure the church as it was meant to be. It is vigorous and flexible, for these are the days before it ever became fat and short of breath. Don't talk about me like that. Uh, through prosperity or muscle bound by over-organization. These men did not make acts of faith. They believed. They did not say their prayers. They really prayed. They did not hold conferences on psychosomatic medicine. They simply healed the sick. Actually, God healed the sick through them. But if they were uncomplicated and naive by modern standards, we have ruefully to admit that they were open on the Godwood side. I love that. Let me read it again. If they were uncomplicated and naive by modern standards, we have ruefully to admit they were open on the Godward side in a way that's almost unknown today. And I'm glad he said almost unknown because there are places in this world where that is known. There are revivals going on all over this world. China. I saw it behind the, in, in, you know, the formerly Iron Curtain countries. I travel in those countries, and I was touched and infused with a new faith by seeing what happened. My real conversion on believing that this is for today came in Korea when I was an army chaplain over there, and I observed first century Christianity. And you know of all places where I saw it first? Among the Presbyterians. 65,000 people in that Presbyterian church in Seoul. I met Dr. Moffat whose father and mother had been part of the movement that reached Korea. And Korea is known as one of the most successful mission fields in the history of Christianity as a nation. In a short time, so much. Korean Christians showed me what it was like to pray, for they prayed at 6.30 in the morning. They showed me what it was like to go to a sunrise service because they started at 1 o'clock and walked until sunrise and came to the service and heard the message in the dark and walked home in the sunlight. They showed me a commitment only one week, about 10 years or 12 years out of the Korean War, they were demonstrating to me what still demonstrating to me what true Christianity is like. Now, I can't say they're that way now because you know what? In time, every move of God grows stale. It's only when we see that it's stale that we can have a freshening up. No one can read this book, Book of Acts, without being convinced there is someone, I like it, capital S, someone here at work besides mere human beings. Because, perhaps because of their very simplicity, perhaps because of their readiness to believe, to obey, to give, to suffer, and if need be, to die. The Spirit of God found what surely he must always be seeking, a fellowship of men and women so united in love and faith that he can work in them and through them with a minimum of let or hindrance. Consequently, it is a matter of sober historical fact that never before has any small body of ordinary people who have left so much behind 
be so moved that the world and their enemies would say, with tears of rage in their eyes, that these men have turned the world upside down. That's inspired writing, church. Inspired by the inspiration of us all, the word of God. Inspired by the story of us all, the history of our church, Jesus Christ. Inspired by what has happened in the lives of men throughout the ages and will happen again and again as long as we find the ground they found and stand needy before the Lord. I am old. And in my youth, I sat outside the church in my first church one night talking to a guy about what happened to the church of Jesus Christ that we long for, that we want to see, that we read about. And we were talking so despairingly. And I want you to know, church, I started to pray. And I started to see things change in that little church. And as I left that church, I had people who were my enemies come up to me in tears and say they're going to miss me. We had people who felt the prod of um, my rash boldness as a young man preaching the gospel as I understood it, stirring up the masses as much as I could. We had them coming around. We started praying for faith in that little church. A little church that worried so much about money they wanted to turn the toilets off during the week to keep them from freezing so they could save money. A little country church. I made many good friends there. I look back with remembrance of that, that time with, with great joy. It was formative. It created in me a hunger for God, and I found it. I found a hunger. In time, I found that hunger again. I found my first love coming back. I found that yearning that I once had. On my knees in Korea, gave myself back to Jesus Christ to become as a little child and let him lead me. And he led me through some rough times. But on the other side, I can say today at this age of mine, I saw God work. Today, Back then, there were about six young people that came to Christ. Their families came to Christ in that little Methodist church we started up in Oakland, Virginia. Those six gone out, and they met others, and we brought others in. We, we gathered together some people who were believers and who prayed and who were young and enthusiastic and old and enthusiastic. And we saw God work. And then it grew colder because we grew more abstract, because we got away from, uh, we got muscle-bound with, with, with bureaucracy. We, we, we uh, forgot our first love. And we'd have to renew it, and have to renew it, and have to renew it. Church, we always have to renew it, because we are weak, he's strong. What am I saying to you today? I hope I'm here for the next revival. But if I'm here, I'm going to be looking down on it. Seeing we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance to race set before us. They're watching us, and they're cheering us, I think, if I read that right. And I'm saying to you today, it's not too late for America to have another awakening. But if America doesn't have it, 
someone else will, and God will raise up another platform from which his gospel can be preached. In fact, he is doing that very moment. Today, the Episcopal Church is looking to the African child at birth for true doctrine and true faith. Many Episcopalians have left that decadency of that present generation. Uh, liberalism is affected, and they have gone back to their conservative roots. Let me tell you, God cannot be thwarted. He will raise up those who will serve him as long as they serve him. So my encouragement to all of us is, let us not stop praying. If praying is all we do, that's everything. That's my life mostly, praying. Oh God, is a cry of my heart all day long. Oh Lord, in the morning. Oh Lord, at night. Oh God, I bless you, ask you to bless this one and that one. I hold my grandchildren before you, Lord. Lord, Lord, Lord. Church, we are the people who left that world behind. Despair, despondency, sadness, tragedy. And we're the people who have found him, and he's found us. So uh, let the rumbling begin. Come, Holy Spirit. Sweep over my soul. Refresh me in the faith. Amen. We come now to the table of the Lord.